Wardcast episode 158, go! I'm Dylan Vento, and today I am rejoined by Frank DeCola, artist for Where Shadows Slumber, uh, developed by Game Revenant. I remember the the studio name this time, Frank. I hope you're <laughs> hope you're proud of me. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, it, it, I knew it took us a while last time to, to come to the 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 studio name, <laughs> but we're here. It's like oh, it's like that. It's like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie. It's like that's always my pitch. The one where he fights a bear. Yeah. <laughs> How you been? Things are good. It's it's a hectic time now that the game is out on the store, but uh, it's it's a it's a strange transition. Welcome yeah. to yeah. the uh, <laughs> the land of game release. Yeah. I've never been there. I don't know why I'm saying welcome. I don't know what it's <laughs> like. Uh, I'm sure it's like the Elysian Fields, where it's just you know green groves and and tranquil skies. <laughs> not exactly, <laughs> <laughs> and not a hellscape. Oh, um, tell me about it. tell me tell me how the release went uh how long ago was it what when did the game officially come out so it officially launched september 20th um it was available for pre-order on the app store for a few days before that um and i could tell you kind of a story about that that's kind of interesting um but yeah so september 20th the game went live um just on the app store right now we're still working on android um and we got featured like that that launch weekend which was really awesome now apple has all kinds of different features so i don't know how you want to categorize this but um if you have an iphone and you go to the games tab there's like um there's there's some games that kind of have like the head spot on top there's like a scrolling carousel and we were there and we were the first one all the way on the left so the first thing you saw of that whole weekend was where shadows slumber um brilliant puzzles of light and then the little picture that i gave them um, which was really cool. That definitely led to a big boost in sales and stuff. And uh, I'm just glad that they wanted to do that because I think that's that's really cool. So that's cool. Yeah. So that was our launch weekend. <laughs> and and so that's different than like the like the today tab of like right. all that stuff, right? Right. Right. That that section that we were in is specifically for new games. Um, and so nothing that goes up there is random, you know, just, just uploading something to the store doesn't guarantee you'll be in that spot. They have to kind of like see the game and say, Oh, cool game. For example, um, you know, I can check on my phone right now. I believe the new candy crush is in that spot right now. So it rotates. It's a candy crush game. And then that Harry Potter game, some game called Badland brawl. And then the last slot is Stardew Valley. Yeah, I didn't know they were bringing Stardew Valley to mobile. That's yeah, weird. Lots of mobile ports coming up. Even Civ- Civilization Six is on iOS now, uh, which is really cool. If you, if you like that heavy strategy kind of thing, um, so it rotates, but it's more than every day. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd love to be on the Today tab too. I, what I've what I've noticed now that I've done more um, research on how Apple like rolls these out is that um, they'll bring back games all the time, right? So like, if you check the Today tab. I guarantee they're going to push Monument Valley. They do it every, like, pretty much every day. They'll find a reason to it. It'll be like, games that have a great story. Monument Valley is one of those. There's like eight games. And then it'll be like, games that are puzzle games. And they're like, Monument Valley. Um, so that's sort of what we're hoping we can do with Where Shadow Slumber is over time, it becomes the game that they just keep promoting um, because then why not, right? It's good for both of us. Apple makes money, we make money. So yeah. But the weekend slot is cool because, like, so Candy Crush, Candy Crush is probably going to be there till like Monday afternoon, you know? Um, so that's how that works. So I've been told uh, by other mobile devs that like to get one of those coveted slots, you kind of need like a, a rep at Apple. You need like a a um, 
you know, a, a guy in your corner that works on the Apple, what, whatever the curation team is or whatever. Is that is that the case? You like have a contact that you're constantly kind of talking with? Not exactly. There there was uh, someone we emailed a while back and he kind of helped us um, get our roadmap in. You can kind of tell Apple when to expect your game. Now, of course, for us, that was a little foolish because I kept misestimating, underestimating um, just how long the game would take. So our first roadmap was like, oh, yeah, it'll definitely be done in March. And then our next roadmap was like, oh, in May, this game is going to be great. It's going to be done. You, you guys are going to love it. And then Easy. it was like, oh, no, June, June it's definitely just wait in June. June June's going to be the month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know how much the roadmap really helped them. And that was kind of our extent with an actual contact at Apple. But again, like I try not to bug these people too much because they are super busy. Um, you know, they just have like really full email accounts. Um, what we actually did that I think got us the pre-order spot. So that's the other thing. There's another spot on the store called coming soon. And it's just for games that are available on pre-order. Um, so what we did is there's actually a form you can fill out on Apple's website. That's like, tell us about your game. You just do that. Um, now they have to like, it. it has to be a really high quality game, obviously. Right. You can't it, it, like, you can do all these things, but if you're, if they don't like your game, it's, it's not really going to matter. Cause they, they just filter it out. But we just filled out this form and it's like, Hey, give us like six to eight weeks heads up fill this thing out, tell us about your game, what's the pitch, you know, what's the angle, they ask you what other marketing things you're doing. This is all public information, by the way. This is a form on their website. Um, No secrets. We did that probably a month before launch and then got a pretty quick reply from someone at Apple that was like, hey, I just saw your submission. That looks awesome. You should definitely put it on pre-order. Are you guys going to do pre-order? Um, and so we actually weren't even planning on making it available for pre-order um, because we were still like fixing bugs and stuff. But we said, sure, let's do it. You know, he basically told us, I will put you on the front page. Just make your game available for pre-order. So sometime around September 10th, the game was available for this pre-purchase, which is really like it's nothing. You you don't even get to download the game. You just yeah, I don't even think you get charged. It's really more of like a Kickstarter pledge kind of thing. Like, I'll get this. Give it to me when it's live. Well, it's really different than like it's different than pre-orders from like other consoles, right? Because those you do pay up front. Sure. Yeah. And it will it will at least download like a version of the ISO, I guess. Right. And then I guess update it when it when it comes to when it's launched. Or it'll be some kind of a discount. That's the other thing. This pre-order wasn't a discount. That wasn't an option for us. Um, so it was just like you can pledge that you'll pay five dollars right now or you can play it later so it's a weird system i think it's it's really more for advertising on their end so like the fact that stardew valley is available for pre-order gives them a good idea of how many people are interested in stardew valley right um and it's a way of advertising it before it's really on the store and so you get like a second marketing beat that's what we kind of did we were like hey we're available for pre-order and we had a pre-order trailer um and then we launched and we had a launch trailer and it was like hey we're actually out now you know so it's just like you want ex- that's what we're kind of dealing with now is you want excuses to talk about your game without being so transparent i mean i could make a facebook post every day that's just like my game's out get our game please just buy it five dollars yeah <laughs> but the problem is that gets old um and so you need to think of new reasons to talk about it whether that's like a funny joke or some actual event that's happening. So obviously, like when this podcast launched, I'll post the podcast. We're like, oh, I talked with Dylan for an hour about, you know, uh, where Shadow Slumber. But yeah, so that's like a good reason to talk about it rather than just like saying. God, don't, don't make the content marketing so transparent, Frank. Jesus. Th- that's how it is. I mean, that's what I was <laughs> saying about um, a weird transition, you know, like 
I went from working on artwork for 10 hours a day doing animations to now the world of marketing. Um, and I'm kind of out of my element. Like I don't actually know how to do this. Um, and it, it also doesn't feel like the kind of thing that you can just sink eight hours of your life into and get a result. Um, so it's a little weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a very strange transition. Um, the same goes for money too. We, we haven't had too much luck just like dumping money into ads and, and getting a result from that. Um, so it, it's a weird place. It's a weird place to be in. I always find that like ad buys is kind of a economy of scale where it's like unless you can like drop a significant figure into it, you're not going to see the returns that you would like to see. And so like it's much more valuable for people to invest in word of mouth or, you know, different unique avenues of, of advertising your game. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one thing that I think is going to go better with our Android launch than our iOS launch. It's just word of mouth because we did run into some problems when we first launched. Um, there was a pretty crazy bug uh, that was like making the game crash a lot in like the very first build that went out there. Um, and so we spent the first like two weeks after launch just like doing a ton of bug fixing and patching and stuff. Um, I'm not sure if that like hurt our momentum at all or if we kind of got all the customers that we were going to get anyway. Um, but I do want to see what happens with Android if we have like a pretty smooth landing. Um, so now, obviously, like the version that's up there is pretty great. Um, but I think with the version that we first put up there, um, we we just had people saying like, oh, on my phone, like, you know, this level always crashes. These levels always crash. We, what, we, what we had to do is take a look at how much memory each level was using, using like Xcode's little... Um, little readout thing that'll tell you about that. And we discovered that like some levels were just spiking crazy amounts. Like, oh my God, this this level takes 900 megabytes of RAM to run on your phone. So for for a lot of phones, the way they'll the way the operating system will handle that is just be like, all right, I'm killing this process because it is eating up <laughs> everything. So then it looks like the game crashed. Um, and it was actually kind of a simple fix. What happened is one of the optimizations we made for um, speed ended up just costing a lot of memory, which is always the trade-off. It was the it was the the static object thing in Unity. You can you can tell an object that it should be static, and it, it you know that's like saying it, it, this is never going to move. Just why don't you build it right into the scene? The problem is this is what I didn't realize when I suggested it was that um, it apparently turns those objects into like one massive mesh, which costs a lot of RAM um for whatever reason. So on some of our larger levels, like there's a level where you actually scale a city tower. Super cool level, right? But lots of mesh. So we said, oh, this, uh, you know, let's just make it all static because we did that for all of the levels. Um, and that was one that was like spiking to 600 megabytes. We turned that off and now that doesn't happen anymore. Although, you know, maybe maybe on some people's phones, the game is a little choppier. Who knows, right? Like that, that could be happening. I'm not actually sure if it's happening, but that's the trade-off. I mean, it really is a trade-off between speed and um, I guess like memory and uh, yeah, so we got that sorted out. I, you know, that was a tough thing to deal with. I knew there'd be bugs when we launched because that's just how it always is. Um, so we were able to fix those. And then I kind of went into like customer service mode, you know, putting out fires on Facebook and responding to reviews on the App Store. Uh, so like I said, it's just a, just a weird transition. Um, well, it's good that you do that because I mean, like you can easily kind of put out those fires with like someone's frustrated or angry is like, if they know there's a human being on the other side, like that's listening and like, will just take the time to say something to them that really quells a lot of anger right there. 
I think so. From what I've heard. Yeah. At least from the people that have actually replied. I think some people, I, I just missed the boat on them. So like they may yeah, have it's just had drive a, by. Right. They had a problem vitriol. a day after launch. Maybe they already refund it. And so I respond and I'm like, hey, we fixed the thing. And a bit too late. You know, it's too late. But some people, yeah, actually changed their, there was like a two star guy that changed to a four star because he gets, I responded. You know, my rule is like, you got to be nice as possible. Don't copy and paste anything at all. It's not it's not worth it because people people will actually look through your responses to see if you're copying and pasting. I saw this. I saw another game did this. It was like um, whatever one Nintendo just recently launched, Dragalia Lost or something. They, they were looking through like whoever's doing their Android customer service will just reply with the same message every time, no matter what the bug is. And the, and the message is something like, thank you very much. Signed the Dragali Lost team. Um, and so, like, someone can give it a one-star rating. Like, this game sucks. I hate it. I hate everything about this. You suck. I hate you. Thank you very much. And it's like, okay, that that doesn't feel human. That feels like a robot. So, with me, I always take time, look at what they're saying. Um, I'm as nice as possible. I actually ended up taking a lot of what people said in their reviews and putting it right into GitHub because they have, like, a system for logging bugs, which is how Jack and I did, like, a lot of the bug fixing and stuff. Like a project system. Yeah, exactly. I'll just write a super detailed thing and then, you know, he'll he'll try to solve it. Um, yeah, that's what you have to do. And, you know, I, I wish more of the people that um, gave us negative reviews would check out my responses. But right now, I mean, we have a we have a bunch of five star reviews. Our rating is pretty good. It's like four point three out of five. Um, so our goal right now is like obviously make money clearly. But um, for people that are actually like like people we know or people who are buying the game on our recommendation, we always tell them like, give us a five star review. It's really going to help us, especially since there's not a lot of ratings right now. Um, a five star review will just like bring us up to like 4.5, 4.7. And then what I think happens is that Apple sees it is positively rated and says, okay, that's something we feel comfortable promoting on today's tab over and over and over again. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a strange system. And I have no idea how Google Play is going to be because I don't really know how much editorial stuff Google Play does. It could just totally be algorithmic, like people like Candy Crush, Candy Crush is on top. You know, I, I don't think Apple wants their store to be quite like that. Um, you know, they want to make it seem like there's always a new you know set of things coming out. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going to be wild. <laughs> Well, you're going to get all that word of mouth on the Google Play Store from all those pirated APKs you're going to get. <laughs> I mean, hopefully people already remember our game because we had that demo. Did we, did we talk about the demo last time? Yeah, we talked about yeah the yeah. iOS demo we talked about. Yeah, iOS demo and Android demo. The Android demo got 300,000 downloads over two wow. years. Wow. Yes. Wow. So the thing is, now not all those people still have it installed, but I'm hoping that if people remember that this game is there, or even if it's just like... You know, Google remembers if you played it, right? Because it's going to be one of your downloads. So maybe, you know, they'll be on the store and it'll be like, hey, here's a similar game you might like. It's Where Shadow Slumber. And people are like, didn't I play that demo? It's like, yes, here's the full thing. We we have like a few strategies for Android. It's like when the game launches on Android, obviously it'll be on the store, right? For five bucks, $4.99, whatever. So it's on Google Play. So that's one avenue. The second avenue is that we had that demo. We're going to update the demo with some kind of thing Honestly, even if it just like points you to the full game once you beat the demo, boom, there's another there's another way in because people are still downloading it. I'm still getting I still see the reviews that come right to my phone. It's like five stars in Korean (laughs) people all over the planet have seen this thing. Um, And then also we have a beta on Android. Um, So that one, we haven't really shown it much love since like South by Southwest Um, because that was like the last time we were worrying about Android stuff and then we just did like all iOS testing. Um, but we're going to update that. 
uh, you know, do a little testing with people. But also, I'll tell you, since this is this is the inside baseball episode, that's also kind of a marketing thing, right? I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many people are going to find game breaking bugs on Android. It's kind of like a tease, you know. So in the weeks leading up to our Android launch, here's the Google beta. That one has about three thousand people who are signed up. So I think they're going to get some kind of push notification that says where Shadow Slumber has been updated for beta. And then they'll watch it more closely and, you know, do that a few times. Finally, the game launches. You've got like kind of a captive audience. It's almost like a little email list, but it's going right to their phone. So it's even better. What's uh, what's entailed in the beta? Is it like the first like couple worlds or is it completely different levels? Same levels as the full game, but only like six or seven. You know, we we'd really just I mean, you know, we're thinking for ourselves, like we want to make sure people do this, play it, get to the final message, fill out the survey, leave like, you know. It's not really supposed to be an enjoyable experience just yet, you know, because because it's a puzzle game. We can't give too much away. Right. Like people might say after they've beaten 20 levels that, eh, you know, I've seen everything uh, and then maybe they don't buy. So, yeah, we we just need to kind of shuffle, shuffle people through the system. Um, sorry to be so callous. but That's, that's kind of how it is. No, I mean, you're right. Like that's the worry with with a single player game. It's like if if I give them the demo and they're just not mechanically interested in the game then that's a potentially lost sale. Right. I mean, that's kind of why I feel like demos for a while just didn't exist, like late 360 era. Like dem- game demos just weren't a thing because like, hey, we're trying to we're trying to sell these units and, and, and these aren't, you know, sale drivers. They're actually like sale inhibitors. Right. Right. Yeah. Um so we'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, I'm I'm not sure at this point. Like we're we're so small, like we're kind of you know just total nobodies. That I think it it can't really hurt us to have more exposure through like this demo and stuff like that. So I think the fact that a lot of people downloaded it should be good because it's like I understand why a game like Call of Duty you might play for 15 minutes in a demo and then decide like eh, I don't really need this year's Call of Duty like that. I totally get with us though. Like no one knows about us anyway. So I think the fact that people even see it. It'll be like, okay, good. It's like, you know, and even with piracy, like I know you can't really stop people from downloading your APK. Um, so fine. If a bunch of people have Where Shadow Slumber on their phone and maybe their friends see it and their friends have, uh, you know, better morals, uh, maybe they download it, right? You really you really just want as many eyes on your game as possible. Because um, I think it's all about distribution. Like when we were at the top of Apple's um, feature thing, the games tab, that's when we saw like all of our sales, like really, really good numbers. Um, and then it tails off. And I think the reason is just that the game's not in front of anybody. You know, um, our friends know about it. Maybe a bunch of them bought it, but that's about it. So that's why you have to do stuff like ad buys or enticing Apple to feature you again throughout the year. Um, you know, I'm signing up for festivals. I'm signing up for conventions and stuff uh, just so that more people see it and 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 consider in their mind whether they should buy it. So, yeah, I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is at the level I'm at, you're you're really fighting just for people's time um so i'll do anything for that um taking a step back because well we kind of we, we kind of jumped into the to the meat of things without kind of discussing the game oh um, sorry <laughs> the, for people that might be uh, unaware uh if they haven't heard you on the podcast before but like yeah give us the give us the elevator pitch on where shadow slumber sure uh so it's a puzzle adventure game for mobile phones currently on the app store coming to google play soon um all the puzzles are based on shadow and light. So your character is a little old man named Obi, and he's he's lost in the forest when he suddenly finds a lantern. It's kind of magical lantern, 
And um, yeah, as you walk around, you know, each of these levels, um, you'll notice that the shadows that are cast from this lantern are actually changing the environment. Um, I believe in pretty much every game, if it has shadows, they're usually cosmetic, right? So, you know, other than maybe for horror games where they actually use the shadows, like, but even there, it's like atmosphere, right? So shadows in games are typically atmosphere and cosmetic. Um, but in Where Shadows Slumber, they are actually a mechanic. Um, you'll see if you, you know, just Google our game, and you'll see like the pitch black, pitch, you know, pictures of pitch black shadows, um, how dark they are. But the purpose of them is to sort of mask everything that's behind them. And then uh, when the shadow is gone, something else will be in its place. So the classic example like that happens in the second level is um, there's a big pillar. It casts a really dark shadow. There's a bridge that's out, uh, you know, across a creek. So your guy can't swim. He can't jump. He's, he's too old for such trivial activities. Um, and as the pillar, as, as the shadow from the pillar passes over these elements, like the gap in the bridge, um, a bridge appears. Right. So it's not really clear. Is he going back through time? Is he going to different dimensions? Um, you know, you have to experience the story to find out. Uh, right. But but that's what's happening. So the shadow, the shadows actually are the main mechanic. Um, but it's it's linear, right? So like, yeah. It, so in that example, because I played that level, if you walk in. So there's like a, a kind of a natural bridge behind the pillar that you walk behind to cast the shadow to reveal the uh, um to reveal the the bridge um, that you can pass over to get to the end of the level, and kind of how that works is when you in in the the game's kind of in this is isometric view, so you're always kind of you know starting in like the bottom left or center left, Usually. and you're moving to Usually. the upper right. Yeah. Um. So when you go over this naturally made bridge, um, to cast a shadow on the on the giant pillar, you're moving up and to the right. And that's rotating the shadow kind of counterclockwise. And then once it passes over that gap in the other bridge, the gap is filled and, and the and the bridge is fully formed. And if you go in the reverse, it will kind of make the, the bridge vanish. Um, in It might have been, not been that level or it might have been the, the level immediately after that where there are multiple gaps in the bridge. Right. So like it's not just about finding where to cast the shadows. It's also like what is the kind of... Uh, sequence in which you want to kind of traverse the level to cast the shadows in a proper order yeah exactly yeah your changes are typically non-destructive i'll put it that way right because we didn't want we didn't want people to get stuck in a situation where they have to hit reset you can reset obviously um and maybe there's some situations we missed where people might be stuck but for the most part yeah like um you know you cast your shadow one way the bridge appears you cast it back the other direction it disappears so it's really it's more of a mechanic than simply a game about um, finding the cool thing because there are I mean there are some puzzle games like that that are really really casual like almost just like story puzzle games where you sort of tap around the screen and it's like oh where's the thing what, what, what am I supposed to tap you tap it and like a flower appears and it's like oh good go to the next one <laughs> this is not that um, it, it is it's more like Monument Valley or Hitman Go Lara Croft Go these isometric mobile puzzle games um, we were really heavily inspired by those because um, they're all super high quality so you'll see some like um references to their aesthetics and certainly the um the camera position um and it's it's the reason we say adventure puzzle is because it's not simply an abstract puzzle game like uh what's that what's that origami one kami kami 2 that, that one's pretty oh, good I, i'm out of my depth now yeah it's it's another ios one that's a really good one it's like a paper folding puzzle game but you know that one is totally abstract because you're simply solving a puzzle like sudoku is an abstract puzzle. It's, it's right? pure mechanics. Yeah, but something like Where Shadows Slumber and Monument Valley, I, I'll put them more in the adventure puzzle category because you actually have a character who has a story about their life uh, that unfolds over the course of the game and the puzzles are kind of a means to that end. So 
Um, I don't know if you saw any of the cutscenes, but usually after you complete a world, there will be some kind of cutscene that says like, all right, here's here's the reason why Obi leaves the forest and goes to the next place. Um, so, yeah. Because he gets assaulted by animals <laughs> in the forest and sent to prison. Yeah. I was like, wow, this got dark. It really does. It, it's kind of unavoidable when you have a game about shadows um, that you, you explore the theme of darkness. Um, I, I should say... Like, not this isn't really a spoiler warning, but the the game is more violent than people usually expect it to be. Um, so just just a warning. There's I've I've not um, again I'm I'm not a big mobile game player, but like right. I know of games like Year Walk and 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 Monument Valley and stuff, and I I think it kind of has some of the aesthetics of of Monument Valley and also like kind of that naturalistic horror that I've heard Year Walk has. Ooh. Um, I I don't think it's as I'm flattered. St- as startling as your walk because i know there's like some real big jump scares that will literally just make you like scream if if that that's why i've been told i i haven't played it um right but yeah like in the cutscenes when obi is like being attacked like he is literally screaming and i'm like oh shit like this is <laughs> this is real this is realer than real what's happening right um right. it also and once again prefacing by saying i have not played a lot of these games but from my small uh experience with it i feel like monument valley doesn't really like change the camera size that much like does it do a lot of zoom ins and outs because like i feel like from my i like again i've played maybe like two or three levels of monument valley like i feel like your game has a leg up in that because in keeping the perspective and the you know the zoom the same way every time in monument valley it makes kind of the discovery a lot more impersonal hmm. Interesting. whereas with this like you know oh there there's the zoom outs for the actual gameplay levels and obi's like i don't know maybe like a quarter of an inch tall or maybe maybe a little bit more and but like when you do like the cutscenes, he's like and then maybe a three quarters of an inch or an inch tall like right i, mean, I see what you're saying yeah no yeah. change on the perspective or however big your phone is but like the point is like it makes it more personal. Right. Um, yeah. That was definitely intentional. Um, a lot of the cutscenes are done closer up just to, just so you can see like his facial expressions and you can see like what's actually happening. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think most levels are, are fairly zoomed out just so you can get a sense of the puzzle. Um, although I think we, we have one that's pretty cool. The first world, the first level of the second world, which is like a river, kind of a swampy river. We begin with a close up, and then as you walk into the puzzle, it kind of, zooms out a little bit to show you what's going on. We, we try to do that as much as we can, just so you get a sense of who you are. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a good a, flair. Yeah. I, I think it, I, I think it's important. Um, I've been playing a lot of God of war and like the big thing about the new God of war is how it's like one take it's one camera shot. And there's, so there's no cuts, absolutely no cuts, but they still sometimes Kratos isn't even in the shot. Like they'll zoom onto his son or they'll like pan up to something else, but it's, there's never a cut um and it's just i think i I have colleagues like i had uh uh my one friend matt gambell who's uh he's a uh, indie dev over in the uk and but he also does like indie film and he like he makes a big deal about how a lot of games don't appreciate the camera uh and you know the the artistry of you know directing the camera and directing people's eyes but like you're seeing a lot of that more with things like god of war or where shadows slumber or like um like inside like inside made a big deal about directing the 
the player's eye with how they they play stuff in the scene. Right. Yeah. Now for us, that's a little tougher because we will zoom in occasionally, but we never change the angle because that would sort of ruin the illusion. Um, so the angle is always going to stay the same and sometimes we'll pan, but you actually don't have any control over the camera as the player. Um, so we, we debated like, oh, should we let them pinch to zoom or whatever? Like that's kind of a normal thing, but it, you know, we decided it wasn't really necessary. Um, cause then people would feel like they had to use it for puzzles, but you don't. So yeah, I mean, for the most part, the way I would direct people's attention during something like a cutscene is just like, you know, have it Obi look at a place and I assume people will look in that direction too. Right. So if he's like. You saw the the first jail cutscene, right, where he like busts out of the jail. You know, he he's looking at the guards who were preoccupied and kind of looks at the door, and you're like, okay, I get what, I get what he's gonna do. Um, yeah, yeah. And so the camera, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it's not just camera. Like it's also right. like, however, you, you know, you, there's no dialogue in 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 your game. Yes, at least I haven't seen any yet. Uh, no, that's true. So so all of it is body language, all of it is facial expressions, um, but right. you also do a very good job about explaining you know you know it conveying emotion and intent just with those thank with you your limited palette of course yeah no yeah. i really liked it like i saw it and i was like this is this is a very clever way of doing this and i wish i saw this kind of more frequently like i mean that's my big kind of complaint about mobile is that mobile still like i mean obviously there's a lot of artistic games like i played florence this year and i really like florence but um you know, we're just talking about how Candy Crush is still like top the app store <laughs> or whatever. And it's like that, that's still, you know, that's still Kingmaker. King, the king is Kingmaker in, right. in, in the mobile space. Right. And I think Apple feels the same way. Like the reason they'll take someone like me under their wing is because they know that if they don't, indies like me don't really stand a chance. Um, cause not everyone is Monument Valley, right? Most people just release a game they get a few sales and then, you know, you're kind of relying on Apple to, to give you a boost. Um, so I think they, they also realize that their, their store is just going to be the, um, candy crushes of the world, unless they make a point of, you know, promoting some of these indie games that are, that are doing things a little differently. So I appreciate that. And also like animation is kind of my passion. So, um, I'm glad, I'm glad you're enjoying the cutscene so far. Um, I know <laughs> animation is my passion. It is. No, I know. I know. But I don't think you have, you see the graphic design is my passion shirt where it's all like comic sans. <laughs> no, I haven't. I can imagine it though. I'm not sure what the animated version of that would be. Maybe just like a, a still image. Animation is my passion. No movement at all. It's like poorly keyed or like it's, yeah. it's T-posed. <laughs> Rigging is my passion. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, I didn't even know that was the thing. Uh, but but I do really like it. And, you know, that's part of the reason I got into games is because I taught myself a lot of animation and 3D modeling and stuff in high school. But the reason I couldn't get passionate about it is because I didn't like the that the end result would just be a short film. Because um, I saw all these really cool people like getting their, you know, doing their master's projects as they graduated um, graduate school. And they were making these really awesome like animated short films. This is, you know, I'm in high school. I'm kind of like looking up to these people like, uh, well, I know he died, but Monty Um, the one that did um, Ruby, I think was his. He also made like this really awesome animation of like Samus fighting Master Chief is an old one, you know, but it was super cool. That, that sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, yeah, you've probably seen it. He he would do mashups like, oh, what if this character fought this character? But, you know, he did it in like awesome 3D style and it was like super stylized. But as cool as it was, I said, like, this has a limited enjoyment factor, you know, like you can only really watch that a few times before you it gets old. And so like 
what I enjoy about games is that there's the ability for my talents to be put to use in a way that like gives endless enjoyment. Um, and it's still getting there, obviously. I mean, where Shadow Slumber, as great as it is, is still a linear puzzle experience. So once you've played the puzzles, you get, you know them. Maybe you can play them a few times before you have them memorized. Um, you can watch the cutscenes, but those are also short films. But I'm getting there. Like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like the sort of open world awesome games that I really love. Um, that's a way to put your animation talents to use in a way that offers endless enjoyment. I think that's really cool. So talking about the animation style a little bit, because we obviously there's a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people can look at it and be like, oh, this looks a lot like Monument Valley because sure, yeah. of like kind of the, the the flat colors and everything. Um, was that a direct inspiration or like were there other inspirations where you could kind of trace back the art style of Worst Shadow Slumber or even like your personal tastes in like what you wanted to animate? Okay, you'd have to go to Wikipedia for this because it's really cool. But if you okay. search, and, and your listeners can do this too, you want to find a painting called Nostalgia of the Infinite. Um, and it's going to look pretty familiar because do you remember that game, Ico? Yeah. Okay, so um, the the cover box art for Ico is really awesome. Um, and it looks exactly like this painting. <laughs> exactly. Now, here's the thing. I liked Ico. I really liked it a lot. However, Ico doesn't have this art style. It's just a beautiful box. Um, and so I was looking back at this, and and you have to remember, pretty much all my art decisions were made because um, Jack had a very particular design that had to be a certain way. And so that was kind of the space that I was working in, which was good. I mean, that's definitely what you yeah. want to do with an artist to say, like, listen, buddy, you're not going to go crazy here. These are the Listen, rules. man. Yeah, like you kind of have to work with color inside the lines a little bit. Like that structure. You get 100 polygons and that's it. <laughs> but that structure really helps. So Jack had this idea, which is, you know, shadows change things. Um, and very early on, um, the shadows weren't as crisp as they are right now. And so you had to be pretty far away from objects for in order for them to change. Because your light was literally just like a little like Diablo 2 light where you just like, you know, this little little point light um but once those took shape and once those became really crisp and hard um and they had like clean lines um i kind of came back to this image and i thought oh this is super awesome like you know just just look at how dark even here the shadows aren't pitch black but they're kind of pitch black because there's no detail inside them um so this was probably as big of an inspiration as monument valley was i think monument valley provided the inspiration for like the camera angle and stuff um and just like staying really close to that isometric view and then um you know images like nostalgia of the infant and all these uh giorgio paintings that are re- that are really beautiful that that gave me the idea for like how man-made structures should look in this world how they should cast shadows um you can see like where i got some of the influence for the aqueduct levels which i don't think you've got to yet um and you actually like memorize <laughs> memorize what this tower looks like i know this is, this is confusing on a podcast but um this this exact thing actually appears in one of the levels i just literally took this tower and i just put it in there it's a shadow caster and i was like well, this is cool <laughs> you'll be hearing from giorgio's lawyers <laughs> the estate of giorgio i think he died in 1930 <laughs> i said 1978 oh he was oh. 90 years old he was born in 1888 uh-oh that's not public domain <laughs> <laughs> but um so that was definitely a big inspiration i guess they call it is it chiaroscuro there's some Italian term for this. Um, it means freaking dark. That's what it means. Yeah, I mean, this isn't really true. So, a little background. I'm, I was an art student at one point. Okay, I, I, right. I, I took some art history, but chiaroscuro isn't really like this. Uh, it's it, chiaroscuro is like really dark, like Baroque okay. era. Like, oh, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Th- this yeah. is like 
I I wanted I wanted to classify this under Cubist, but it looks like it he was part of the surrealism movement. Um, it's also weird because this painting, I don't know how much like fine or like non digital art you've done, but like I thought this was like oil pastels, but it's actually oil paint. But I want to say he like thin the oil paint real real thin because you can like see the underlying canvas a lot in a lot of this right no yeah this this looks really cool and it's definitely like very uh that ico cover looks very much like this we're gonna pull up that ico cover yeah and you could definitely see the inspiration um for people that have the game if you go to the fourth world which is a city it's kind of like a desert city um a lot of the colors are from this kind of palette um so yeah i think i really pulled inspiration from everywhere if if you get to the final world I think you'll see the most Monument Valley inspiration because it um, it has that kind of flowery look. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. I should really go back to my old notes because this is it's a good question and I, I wish I was a little bit better prepared. Um, I you probably had like an art board, right? You dropped a bunch of images and stuff into. I don't even know. I mean, I think it was a lot of sketching. Um, it's really it's really hard to put myself back. To where I was three years ago before all this existed and and determine it. I think like I honestly don't know. What were the inspirations? I should <laughs> I should come up with a better answer later. Um I mean I still have all my old pages and notes and stuff. You gotta see like what the character looked like, you know, the first few months we were playing the game. He actually kind of looked like Ray- Rayman. Uh he didn't have he didn't have limbs, his his arms were just like floating. Uh, so he had like no neck, just like a floating head. And I was going to do all the characters in that style. Um, and then I realized there's something very disconcerting about like people that cast shadows when they don't have limbs. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the fact that shadows were such a big thing made that particular design just not work at all. Um, but so there you go. Like Rayman almost did inspiration until actually, no, not at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we just got rid of it completely. Absolutely. I, um, that... So were a lot of the art choices in the game uh, constraints from the tech you were using from like the because of the platform or were a lot of them stylistic first and then followed by, okay, how can we make the style work on mobile? It's fair to say that tech was the big driver there Um, because like we knew we wanted to make a mobile game from the beginning. We knew it was going to be portrait mode. Um, We knew that it would be isometric. We knew that we'd have these shadows and everything. And then the shadows became really crisp and hard. And so like you take all those things together and you say, okay, I've got to make a character that you could definitely tell what their deal is from, you know, like, I don't know how far you hold the phone from your face, like a few inches. Um, but the point is they're small, right? So like you're not always looking at a cutscene. Usually you're looking at like the zoomed out puzzle. Um, and so that's why Obi doesn't have like a ton of detail. He just says these like stark things that stand out, like the blue poncho and the blue hat. He's got like the lantern. He's got like the white robe. So they really like, um, they contrast with each other so that you could see, you could tell that from far away. In fact, if you go back to our demo, um, at one point he had like browner skin and white eyes. And that didn't work because you really, it's weird. You couldn't, really tell what his facial expression was because it was just too difficult at that distance to see um the white features so like a white mouth white eyes on this kind of like brown chocolatey skin um and so we just inverted it now we went for more of like a mickey mouse type thing where he's like totally white and his features are totally black um because that's what it took uh i think that's because of the distance like if you do if you have a game like god of war that's really you know you have a close-ups on kratos's face and all that stuff you can afford to have like 
brown trees, brown rocks, brown face, and like brown wrinkles all over his brown eyes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's kind of gritty and all molds together. Um, but you, you, you're able to do that because you're using like a mo-capped um, fit, like, actor doing his face. Um, and you're playing on like PlayStation, so you could just like move the camera all around and stuff. Uh, but for mobile, yeah, you definitely have to like take into consideration all the constraints because we also didn't want to add a bunch of controls and stuff, right? Like I said, we weren't going to have you zoom in. So what that means is that like you, you want a character people don't feel like they have to zoom in on. You can kind of tell what's going on with Obi. Um, one thing you can do if you're walking onto a, onto a, onto a draggable platform this is kind of an Easter egg, but not really. Um, as he's about to walk on it, if you pull it away from him, he'll like stumble. Um, <laughs> but so like, that's a perfect example where you don't need to zoom in. You kind of just get it. You can see everything through his body and his body language. Um, so yeah, it definitely, definitely tech drove that one. And, and all that, all that animation was hand keyed, right? Like yes. obviously you didn't have any, do any mocap or anything for that. No, no motion capture. Yeah. I, I, I studied how to do motion capture in college, but boy, is it elaborate. You'd basically yeah. have to like, I would basically have to go back to school, back to Stevens and like use their mocap lab. Um, not worth it. I never really figured out how to do it the right way. And also like, um, when you're using humanoids who don't necessarily have human proportions, motion capture can give you some pretty disgusting uh, results. Did you ever see that video of the de- of the guy that swapped skeletons in Smash Brothers Melee? No. Oh my god. Okay, so this is a bad example because it's not actually motion capture, but it kind of gets to the idea. This dude took Captain Falcon's animations and put them on Pikachu. <laughs> And it is a nightmare to behold because the, to look the, at this. the mesh will stretch to accommodate it. And, oh, no. But, but the bones are just disgusting. So you've got like fat Pikachu with skinny little legs <laughs> and skinny little arms. And he's but they're like, like, where's the body? Like, where's Pikachu's like torso rest? Is it still on the ground or is it like no, 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 no. in the air? It's, it's okay. where Captain Falcon's torso would be um, because apparently the bones were named the same thing or they were named. They were similar enough. Um, but oh, it's just, it's just an absolute nightmare. I'll try to find it for you if it doesn't come up. It would be like reskinning Smash Brothers or something or like Smash Brothers bone swaps. But so, okay, so getting back to the point, um, if you try to, like, if I motion captured myself and then put it onto Obi, that's probably what you would get because like his arms are a weird proportion. He doesn't have fingers. Um, he doesn't really have a neck. He just kind of has like a round head. Um, his butt is big, like it's all that kind of stuff. Cause he's, he's basically designed as like a little chibi dude, um, wearing like a, a monk's poncho. <laughs> so yeah, it wouldn't quite work. And then you've got cer- certain characters, like you saw the little, um, the angel ghosty dude in the jail. who kind of like floats in for a second. Yeah. So like, that's, that's a situation where even if you did some motion capture, I mean, what am I going to do? Like suspend myself on a harness and like, you know, to float. Uh, and then you'd have to hand key the, the wings anyway. So I'm not going to say I enjoy hand keying animation, but I, you have to do it. You know, um, the one place I got, I was able to cheat was his cloth is just using unity cloth. I don't have to animate the cloth. I animated the cloth in the demo and it is a nightmare. Um, but you, you can never really win because the cloth that we have right now, it's still like, rips through his arms sometimes yeah it still does some clipping i noticed yeah. that and i was like so yeah, I, I mean gotta, that's just yeah that's just that's just how it is with you know, with cloth animation and I cloth still have to, physics like, i want to talk with some people at unity and see if i can get that fixed because it's kind of dumb like the game's out now and, and no one really complained about it but it's one of those things i know about and it's like ah this is driving me nuts no yeah um, i i feel you i yeah. that would drive me insane too so but it's difficult because like that's that's just a rig you you set up and then you just let it do its thing and you hope it all works out for the best um 
but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely got some cloth screw ups there. If you're interested in more of that uh, visual FX or in mocap stuff, I had um, uh, one of my co-hosts, Alex Damrath. He went to SCAD. And one of his colleagues at SCAD, Michael Listo, was uh, did visual effects, and now he's a motion capture uh, technician. He was at 2K up until I think this spring, and then he is now at uh, Infinity Ward. But we had him on last November. It's episode 114, so if people want to go back and check out and learn more about the 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 how difficult motion capture can be, even when you have a full you know stage sound stage for doing that stuff, it's still pretty pretty involved. And even when you do the motion capture, you still have to go back and do a little bit of hand keying after yep. the fact because because sometimes it just it doesn't capture it perfectly. Yeah, there's always cleanup, and it's it's a big process. But uh, but much respect. It's 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 tough to do. <laughs> <laughs> game recognized game. Uh, you mentioned. I, I kind of wanted to take it a little tangent here because you mentioned how you got like some Korean reviews and stuff on. Uh, I I think you said Google Play on and, the demo. Yeah, yeah, on the demo. Right, right, right. And I don't. Is there much localization needed for Where Shadows Slumber outside of like UI prompts and stuff? So yeah, there's there's good news and bad news about that. Um, the good news is there's not a lot of localization. We actually, um, we made the marketing decision early on, you know, to, to not have a lot of text in the game. And that was like one of our big things, like not a lot of menus, not a lot of text. Um, so really the, the most text we have in our game is not even in our game. It's on the app store, right? There's an app store description that talks about, um, what the game is like that has more text than the game itself. Wow. Yeah, because I mean, you know, you played it. Every level is just like forest, bridges, or like, you know, jail, light. It's just the name of the world is one name, and then the name of the level is one word. Um, and then, yeah, you know, you've got a, a menu where it's like settings, oh, change your music, you know, that that has a lot of text too. But really, you know, we didn't want any text in the game itself. We wanted, it's like a challenge, right? We were like, can we, can we tell a story just using body language and this kind of theater um, without needing the crutch of language. And by the way, you know, I played Monument Valley story. I don't really know if the text helped all that much anyway, because <laughs> like there were these moments where you'd walk in to meet a ghost and the ghost would be like, you're really bad at being a princess. You know that? <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, shit. He's right. <laughs> this is very, it's very vague. Like it, it, it didn't really help anyway. So that was our challenge. So that's the good news is that, yeah, like when we, when we actually went to translate this, we were able to get it into like 16 languages for like under a thousand bucks. Right. So it's pretty good. Um, the bad news is there's there's a whole process for localizing your app on the App Store that we didn't realize. So even though like right now, if you have a French iPhone and you download the game, um, Jack's system will recognize that you have a French iPhone and uh, it'll show the text in French, right? Because it's set up to do that. But um, on the App Store itself, the only language it shows is English. Because in Xcode, you have to do this whole complicated thing that's like, here's my localization files, but we translated it differently. That's what I'm trying to say, is that because our app came from Unity, and maybe there's a way we can set this up in Unity, but because our app came from Unity, Xcode doesn't realize that it is actually available in multiple languages. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely want to take care of that, maybe even before we get the game on Android, um, just because like... Our sales have been mostly U.S. and Canada and U.K. There's no reason why people in Germany shouldn't buy our game, but perhaps they see the little thing and it says, "Oh, the only language is English," and they're like, "Oh, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that." You know, because people, people when they're buying a game, they don't realize 
how important language is or is not. So the whole, the, the app store description is in their language, but maybe they see that and they say, oh, they didn't bother localizing it. I'm not going to pay the money, right? Um, so yeah, like we, we did the right thing and then we missed like a crucial step. Um, and we'll just, we'll just try to fix that. So I, I, now that I say it out loud, there must be a way we can like be in unity and say like, Hey, this is in French also. And it has then to be. build right to Xcode and Xcode will pick it up. Cause I don't want to jump through Xcode's hoops. I mean, I get it. That's for like, if you're making an app and you're, you're building direct code. Um, but there were all these steps and they were grayed out when I tried to go to them. They just couldn't even click them. Um, it's like Maybe. add another language. Nope, you can't. See Maybe you. need some localization plugin or something. Maybe, yeah, that could be it. That could be it. Now I don't think we're gonna have the same problem on Google Play because I think Google Play will just take your word for it. But then again, I don't actually know. Um, so sounds like Xcode is as much of a dumpster fire as people make it sound to be. It's difficult to use. It's there's you know what it is. It's like you have to learn what you can ignore. And then find like the few things you actually have to touch because like we're really not using Xcode. We're using Unity. That's the thing. Xcode is just a pass through. We're just using it to upload it to the app store. And when it works, it's fine. Um, like the the fact that they have that memory readout thing, that one's that's pretty great because um, that helped us find the bug. We should have tested that beforehand, but that helped us fix the bug after the fact. So no problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not a lot of fun to deal with that system. Um, is it? Um, is is Xcode recompiling the Unity game? We might have talked about this at Magfest, but is it recompiling the Unity game like into Swift or whatever? Like, how how crazy is this pass through? Is it just like a check mark? Like, okay, like you you got you went through Xcode, or is it like this whole recompiling? Um, I'm not sure about Swift per se, but I definitely think that it's it's rebuilding it because you you're in Unity and then you build to iOS. Um, which makes an Xcode project, and then you have to open that in Xcode, and obviously you test it on your phone and everything. But then you you then archive that, validate it, and send it up the stream to Apple. So somewhere in there, I think they're kind of basically making it like piracy proof, which hey, good for them. I mean, maybe someone figured out how to crack that, but I bet it's difficult um, because I think you're kind of turning it into like more of a native iOS application rather than the APK where Google just kind of spits out an APK that like anyone can download. You know, um, they're Xcode takes you through a whole process that makes it like pretty certain that you have to download it from Apple's server onto your phone from the App Store to actually play it. It's like, you know, you've got this encryption thing and there's like, a, you know, it, it checks your your license key, right, to see that you're actually like an Apple developer paying your hundred bucks a month, all that stuff. Uh, no, hundred bucks a year. Sorry. Um, <laughs> hundred bucks a month. That's yeah, a, they really... yeah, pretty hefty. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's doing something as for the very specifics I couldn't tell you. Is um let's talk about sales. Like not you don't have to give me specific numbers, but like in terms of like what you projected, what you know, how do you feel <laughs> the, the 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 game is doing? Do you right. feel like, you know, are you are you happy with how it's been selling? Well, you can't really trust my projections because they, they changed by the day before we actually launched. It was anywhere from like, oh, we're going to make millions of dollars to like, boy, I hope we sell 100 copies. Um, I don't know. I, I guess what worries me about the sales is just that it seems pretty predictable. Like I can tell that our big days, I'm looking at uh, Xcode right now, or I'm looking at App Store Connect. Um, our biggest days were the weekend where Apple featured us. Um, and then since then, it's been hard to like get eyeballs on the thing. So our graph is basically, oh, wait, let me, let me expand the graph. It was like a, big spike and then like a pretty harsh drop immediately after the showcase yeah exactly so there's like our launch day 
which is like the hill. Um, and then it kind of just like sort of is flat where we're, we're just getting like a few sales every day. Um, so, you know, how to deal with that. Um, yeah, pretty much like launch week was pretty good, but then like, we haven't really made the same amount of money that we made on launch week. So, oh, it even has a little thing. Okay. September 22nd, where Shadow Slumber achieved $10,000 in sales. Cool. That's awesome. All right. But then, you know, so then like, um, yeah, it's just, it's tough to get back up to that point. So I think like what we do from here on out specifically for iOS is try to figure out that language thing, try to repitch the game to Apple. Um, cause you can like, you can fill out that form again and like tell, like tell them stuff about your development. Basically like if you write them a story, they'll just probably put it on the today tab. Right. Cause those guys are like, writing all sorts of stories and it's, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult to get content going so they could use the help. Um, so there's, there's that, there's the language tab. I mean, not the language tab, the, the language situation. Um, and also Apple search ads, we might begin using those. Um, and it's a weird situation, right? Because like you're paying Apple for ads on their platform. Um, and then they'll also take a cut when the game From sells the sale. yeah yeah so i don't know if they do a deal where it's like all right listen if the ad works we're not going to take the money that would be nice but i doubt it yeah, yeah. knowing <laughs> what i know about apple yeah um so that's the plan for there so yeah i would say um oh see here's a perfect here's a perfect thing right now on the today tab they're doing a story about ken wong who created monument valley but the story is really about Florence. But the way they introduce it is they have a picture of him and says how the creator of Monument Valley made a love story for the ages. Tap to read. So that's the idea. Like you basically have to um, help them with their content problem and you'll be rewarded with some kind of promotion on the app store. Um, but Where are you seeing that, that article? I don't see it. Well, so here's the other thing I realized. Different iOS versions get a different store. So what wow. iOS version are you on? Uh, 12. Oh, I just looked on the phone that's also 12. iPhone? Mm-hmm. Today have, uh, Yeah. Dude, that's weird. What stories do you see? Uh, our five apps we love right now, this is from top to going down, take CarPlay for a spin, Game of the Day, Valleys Between, App of the Day, Creative Live. That's funny. Yeah, I'm on, my, I'm on the, um, the iPhone X that we got for testing, and... Uh, I don't see it either. Huh. Weird. It's only on the iPhone 6S. Weird. But so that's the idea, right? Like they've got all these regions and they've got all these different iOS versions and different hardware. So you could get a story from Apple on any of those um, or a bunch of those at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I would say right now, if this trend continues, I'd be pretty disappointed with sales. Um, but hopefully we'll find a way to get it to pick up, or maybe we'll just have better luck on different platforms. Um, you know, tons of people downloaded our demo on Android. I know premium doesn't do well on Android, but I wonder if like we can sort of use our demo as a way to lead people to our, um, our finished product. Cause people really do like that demo. Um, well, you were also talking about like, you know, you had a pretty big pre-release con strategy and I think you kind of don't have, from what I what I think from our conversation, it seems like you don't have like plans to let up because I mean you're still planning on going to Magfest early. Right. You've applied you've applied the MIVs. 
you'll probably go again if 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 they allow you like our you know packs packs east or other packs in the works you know play nyc maybe or like some other shows um because like a lot of studios still do that it's like hey the game's out but like we're still going to we're still going to do the the circuit because that that just helps drum up sales and it might help even better that someone comes to the booth someone plays the game it's like hey you can play it right now here you go definitely yeah because the last convention we did was play nyc uh which was in august and that was a few weeks before we actually launched. Um, and it was a great con, but it was also frustrating because it's like, oh, man, if this was just a little bit later, I could be actually like driving sales right now. Um, so, yeah, what we did while we were in development was I think we really narrowed down the list of the conventions we should actually go to versus the ones we don't really need to go back to. And now we have a pretty good list of like, OK, these are the ones that had really good traffic, high interest in our game, worth the money, worth the travel money, you know, because there's all this money that's like all these expenses that are sort of related to the convention, but are not just the booth fee. Um, and so, yeah, that's one thing you can do to just like get the game in front of people. Um, still though, it is, it does feel kind of weird. It's like, all right, if I, if I was actually able to get like 25 people to buy the game, that's pretty good, but that's also only like 125 bucks, <laughs> like, you know? So that's, that's still kind of small, but the way I'm just looking at it now is like, I need fans who are going to rate the game five stars, which will boost us in Apple's algorithms bring us to the top of that chart. And then when we're at the top of that chart, they might feature us more and other people might find us incidentally, right? So like during our launch weekend, we were number three in the puzzle category. Um, if you if you just were looking at games by like premium and puzzle, if you were filtered by that, we were there, we were like above Monument Valley. Now that doesn't last long because the, the system sees a spike in sales and puts you up there and then it sees a drop off in sales and it's like, ooh. So then we went down to like, 70 173 unranked back up to 159 it's it's kind of crazy so the games that are still up on the top of that chart must be getting like consistent sales consistent popularity high ratings like they kind of cemented their place in the system um and so like upstarts like us sort of pop in and then pop out so i'm I'm basically looking to that we, we released a blog recently that was like a it's called the long climb because that's what it feels like right like you got your flash in the pan 15 minutes of fame sales and now it's more about like, how can you prove over time that this is one of the best games on the iPhone and it deserves to be in like the, the top 15 for the next three years, right? So, and it's tough. It's tough. It just happens one review at a time, one person at a time. Um, but yeah, we're not doing a ton of conventions before we launch on Android. I think maybe um, there's the Halloween Playcrafting Expo. Um that's coming up at the end of October. And then I'm doing a few things. I'm like, you know, doing some teaching events um, at Stevens where we went to college. And um, I'm actually doing something pretty soon in, in like a, a high school in Brooklyn just to like, you know, talk to the kids. So obviously those are all those are all going to be better when we're also out on Android because like some of these kids might have Android. But, you know, I go to those things just so I can get a few more eyeballs on the game, get some five star reviews. Um, and just try to just climb up, climb up the ladder. And but so you're saying like cons that you consider to be worthwhile because of traffic and et cetera. And you consider Magfest to be one of those cons. Yeah, Magfest is definitely good. The downside is just the expensive hotel. Um, but since Jack may be well, first of all, we don't even know if we got in. I mean, we we made it to round two. Um, I have a pretty good feeling we'll get in, but you never really know. Uh, we've been there twice, so maybe they think like, eh, you know, 
I don't know what their return policy is, but let's assume uh, it, it's three years. Oh, uh, for any single game, and cool. but but you can. So I have so Moman, who's one of my friends who lives locally. He's yeah, been yeah, like yeah. the past past four or five years, right? Because the first three he did Clash Cup, and then now he has a mobile game that he's doing. But like he'll still Clash Cup isn't out yet, so he still has like a a table for Clash Cup because right. you're allowed to show any game as long as you show the game that you got in with. Very smart. Very cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely like MAGFest. And I think, like, if if we get in, we'll have a free booth. And then if Jack is able to just, like, drive to his parents' house and, you know, operate from there, then it's basically a free show, as long as he doesn't mind giving up a weekend. So, hero mode Jack. But that would mean, because I think last year we spent, like, maybe 900 bucks on the hotel. Great hotel. The Gaylord is awesome. But then, you know, you look at it as a business expense and you say, like, well, wait a minute. In order to make back the $900... Um, you know, how many people actually have to buy a game? Um, so let's say, well, 200 just to make it even a thousand. So you got to get 200 people to pay five bucks so that you can make a thousand dollars. Let's forget the fact that Apple takes some of that money anyway. And really like, that's kind of ridiculous. Like, how would you actually get 200 people to buy the game? I think in, in one weekend, I might be able to talk to 200 people, have them at the table, but not necessarily get them to pull the trigger. Right. So, yeah, that's why we're looking for these shows where we don't have to shell out a lot of cash. And that's why even stuff like um, PAX East is a great show. If I can't get a discounted way in, I don't know if we can do it again. So it's going to be weird. Or we just have to say, listen, you know, let's spend 2000 bucks on a 10 by 10 and just say that it's a marketing expense and we don't care if we make the money back. But, you know, I don't want to do that too many times because then you could end up saying like, well, we spent eight thousand dollars this year, and uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know if it actually worked. One one good strategy that we always use for Magfest is that you should just stack the, the the hotel room. Like we we go like at least four people deep in each hotel room to like drop the costs. Sure, it's a good idea. Yeah, I think with this one we might just use Jack's parents. Right. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. That, I mean, that would be smart because because yeah. that's free. But like, right. if the concern was like, hey, I don't want to do all this traveling to and from the show, like, there's your out. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the traveling, you know, it's, it's not that easy to drive around that area, so. It's it's really not. Yeah. Because, like, we always want to get a room because we, we know how to work cheaply because, like I said, we'll, like, we'll split the room, like, four or five different ways, and so we'll be we'll be good in that way. Um, but, like, then the concern is, okay, how do I get a room? Because you have kind of three avenues to get a MAGFest room, right? You have, you you buy one, uh, basically, as soon as they... they open because the second they open they sell out and they're also tied to the attendee pass so like you have to get an attendee pass as soon as they go on sale and then you have to get into a second line to you know a second digital line to get your hotel room that's one way second way is being mivs because you're guaranteed a room third way is to be at mages which is the magfest uh educational symposium um because then you are also guaranteed a room so like we <laughs> rva game jams has been pretty good my my local community has been pretty good about like always being able to source a room for magfest even though they're like a hot commodity and extremely difficult to get we have always managed to find one in the gaylord right yeah so i guess like if we get one guaranteed with mivs that might be worth shelling out the money but again like i said it's you know might be closer to like 900 bucks so I, I guess I, I wouldn't be too worried about getting the room. It's more like, can we justify the expense? But or, yeah, 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 yeah. Give it the you sell it to someone else. What? What? 
<laughs> I don't know if they if they'd be cool with that. I don't know what would be the. I'm gonna guess absolutely not. <laughs> so I won't <laughs> confirm or deny that I'm doing that on this podcast, since this is gonna be listened across the world. But uh... <laughs> you see, Your Honor, the defendant clearly states here. <laughs> What's your impression on Play NYC? Because I know Play NYC can be a pretty pricey con. Yeah, um, for a so, booth. So we we've gone two years in a row now. Uh, Eight hundred bucks the first year, a thousand dollars the next year. Um, I think it's great. I, definitely a lot of traffic. It's a good it's a good convention. Um, again, you know, without without having sales numbers to show you, like I can only show you like I got a few pages of emails, right? So it's really hard to say like what do you come away from the convention with. Um, but yeah, like that's definitely something I would, I would do next year. Um, if only to make sure that the people who've seen us in years past do go through with buying the game. Um, cause you know, I assume those people saw the email I sent out, but maybe not right. Like pe- emails get lost. People have like, you know, really crowded e- email inboxes. Um, I totally understand. So yeah, I mean, I hope the price doesn't go up again. If it's a thousand again, I could do it again. Like, you know, the, the beauty of it is this is in my backyard, right? I, I think I took a, an Uber just to get there. You know, it just from Hoboken, I go right into the city done. It's super easy. Um, and so like, that means that all the expenses you would normally have travel and hotel just don't apply. Now, in your case, if you were showing something off and you're coming from Virginia, eh, you know, that's, that's rough. Um, maybe stay with someone in the city, maybe just take the train, but you're still going to be spending money on top of your money. So that's why I don't usually fly out for conventions anymore. Like we didn't even try for Indiecade. It was just like, all right, don't worry about it. You know, we're not because we're going to spend so much money going out to Los Angeles or I'm not sure if they're in San Francisco this year. Um, I think it's still L.A. I think it's like Santa Monica. Yeah. Like, you know, you you spend a ton of money getting out there. Um, And so even in a situation where they give you a booth, you're probably blowing like three thousand dollars. Right. So how can you really say it's worth it? Um, I so for me, play NYC is is really great, right? Because it's the cheapest it could possibly be. We even have like the returning exhibitor discount. So I don't think our table was supposed to be $1,000. I think it was supposed to be more, but they brought it down to $1,000. Now, I don't know if that's going to continue. So eh, we'll see if we're really bankrupt. I guess we won't do it. <laughs> but um, but that's that's not too difficult of an expense to justify because I really like the playcrafting community. Um, you know, speaking of money, one thing that surprised me was... Uh, so we're going to the Playcrafting Halloween event, um, which is free for attendees, but 50 bucks to show off your game. And that's one of the first times that uh, Dan has charged. Um, so I think like he's sort of changing up his business model a little bit. Like instead of charging the attendees, charge the indie gamers. Um, and it's only 50 bucks, so that's not going to break the bank. But yeah, I'm, I'm, wait, I'm wait. really interested in that. Go through it again. So it's free if you okay. have a booth. So, so here's the thing. In the past, we've gone to a bunch of these playcrafting events. They're really great. He usually gets a spot in the Microsoft building in New York. And um, I mean, we've been Is going in these, Manhattan. Yeah, in Manhattan. So we've been okay. doing this for like two years, right? You, you, there are pictures of us with like the demo, the, the unfinished demo. And we're there. And, you know, the rule was if you sign up with your game, you get a spot, no charge. And the people, the attendees, the fans, like the gamers who are coming in pay like seven bucks or something. And for them, it's like a little indie games festival, right? Um, now that has changed. And uh, Dan is charging the indie gamers to come in. So now a table is like 50 bucks. So again, that's that's fine. I was a little surprised by it. Um, but 
if that's how it's going to be, that's fine. It's probably, it's still a great event. He always gets a big crowd, right? So he always somehow finds tons of people coming in, like parents with kids or people that want to be game developers. And you can kind of convince them like, hey, you know, the best way to become a game developer is to buy my game, you know. <laughs> um, buy so, my game, I'll teach you everything. Yeah, but that one doesn't feel too difficult to justify because like, again, okay, so you want to make your money back on $50. You only need to get like 10 people maybe 15 people to buy the game that's not that bad i could definitely do that you know and and probably i'll even get more than that if i'm being optimistic um add people to the email list and all that stuff but uh yeah so i'm definitely going to keep going to play nyc stuff play crafting things um it's a great organization and he just always gets a big crowd so that's what i need that's cool yeah i mean obviously like being next to like one of the largest cities in the country yes uh uh, gives you a benefit of being in touch with a lot of a lot of potential customers for sure and in which fact, is nice later today i'm just gonna get back into the grind of things what i've been doing now is just finding indie game events that i can go to so i already told you i have a bunch of lectures lined up like i'm going to schools and going around and talking and stuff more of that would be great and if any of your listeners want to throw something my way uh, i'm in i'm in hoboken just contact me um but uh i'm also just looking on eventbrite and meet up dot com for like indie game event you know and it's the city so there's there's going to be something um but i just need to like plan a bunch of those and bring the game and talk to people and get more five-star reviews it's weird like this was the same way i felt when i ran the kickstarter for mr game back in 2015 you have this kind of ugly view of humanity where you just like you look at everyone and you just see their money it's really bad um you know and when i was doing the kickstarter for that game you you had a certain amount of time to make 15 grand and if you didn't you lost everything right i mean they didn't take your house but you lost all the money um so i was just looking at my friends and it was like there's a hundred dollars he'd probably give me 35 this guy's 75 <laughs> bucks so now it's the same thing with people but i just see five star reviews over their heads so it's right. like oh there's a person oh he's got an iphone oh she can give me a five star review yeah you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. and i and the thing is i don't actually know when this will end because um the kickstarter had a 30-day time limit but our game's going to be on the app store forever so i guess i'm just like this now (laughs) (laughs) until until the next one help me well yeah and then you know then i'll bundle them together the way monument valley did and you can like buy both games at once is your is your plan to always be to stay in the mobile space or it's a good question um yeah making mobile games was pretty cool i i do have a few more ideas for mobile games um there's like a chess one I've been I've been thinking of doing. I don't know if chess is played out, but I kind of have some cool ideas there. I think it's less about like which part of the game industry I want to be in and more like um, uh, the, the lifestyle of just making a game in your apartment is very bad for you. Um, and so <laughs> I think I need to take almost like, you know, how when people graduate high school or college or whatever, they take like a, a gap year. Um, I wouldn't mind doing that. I think like at this point, if I had a normal nine to five job, that would be like taking a vacation every day. So <laughs> I'll just do that. People always think it's weird. I'm like, oh man, I can only imagine what it'd be like to have a job. And they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, that'd be so nice. I can only um, imagine what health insurance is like. <laughs> now let's say having a job and not working on a game at the same time. I wouldn't want to do what Jack did where he had a job and also made a game. That is psychotic. Uh, I can't believe he survived Welcome this life, man. Yeah. Welcome to life. <laughs> but I think like if I, you know, if I take a break from actually developing something hardcore and it's just like, you know, this year, 
get a job and work on some designs, obviously at the same time pushing where shadows slumber. But the thing is, like, I can't control when conventions are, right? So I don't want to sit on my hands waiting for PAX East, which is in, like, April or something. I think it's in- last weekend of March this year. Okay. Um, so welcome back to the cold, the frigid yeah. Boston March. Yeah, oh, I like it. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Northeast guy, so... I mean, I find it bracing. (laughs) I I like the cold. Like it finally, the heat finally broke here. It was like, you know, just last week, like 80 degrees still, 85. And then now today it was like 62 and I love it. But there's something about that, like stinging, frigid, northeast cold. Like one of the first times ever went to, I think it was like my first or second time ever in New York City. We went the day after Christmas when I was in like middle school, so this is probably like mid two thousands, like probably like oh four, oh five, oh six, somewhere around there. Maybe it was a little later. Maybe it was like early high school. I we 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 took the train up. We took Amtrak up, which is like a twelve hour ride or something from uh, Southeast Virginia to uh, New York City. I think we got out like Grand Central wow. or something. Get out onto the street. It's nighttime at this point. The cold wind hits my face, and it's the most painful thing I've ever felt in my life. And I, we like walk down, we because we were we got a hotel room in Times Square, which I hated because Times Square is I hate Times Square. Um, but we like go into this deli, and I could just feel my face thaw out. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I, I've lived I've lived in the South all my life. What the hell is this? Welcome, welcome to winter, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Real winter. Yeah. But so, you know, since I can't control when these conventions are, um, I have to do something with my time. And it's like I said, I, I, I don't know how to actually market for eight hours a day. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I would like to be have a more normal work-life schedule. And in the meantime, probably, you know, prototype some other things, um, but not really work on them in an intense way that's like, you know, oh, got to get this out the door. Like, I, I don't really I, I don't really rush things out. Um, so, yeah. What was the total cycle, life cycle of Where Shadows Slumber in terms of development? I believe we began in the spring of 2015 and we will get Android out before this year is done. So sometime in 2018. Um, so yeah, three years. Three and a half, something like that. Is it more? Well, I guess if we went all the way to 2019, spring of 2019, that would be four years. So yeah, three, three and a half. Wow, that's crazy, man. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's how it is when you're indie, you know, it's tough. Um, it would be different if it was like a larger team working nine to five in one office. Um, but, you know, we, we worked on it when we could and got out the door. So, yeah, up next is Android and Amazon, obviously. And then we need to have a conversation if we if we feel like it's worth it to port to some of these other platforms. Um, so our, our friend Sam, uh, who we met through Playcrafting, released his game Zarvot for Switch. Right. Yeah, I know Sam. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's awesome. Like Nintendo's promoting him and that's super cool. But I'm sure it was difficult to get it on the Switch, right? So I'd, I'd love to just, like, have drinks with them and be like, hey, so be honest here. Like, how are your sales numbers doing? <laughs> like, you know, is this, <laughs> is this something that we should try? Um, we've talked about Steam as well, just because, like, why not? Um, so it's really about, like, you know, is this something we can do in a few months? Or are we dedicating another two years of our lives to this? 
Um, because again, like if we were making money hand over fist and had like millions of dollars, it would be a no brainer. But, um, you know, sales are, sales are kind of just normal right now. Uh, so yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I, I talked to Sam before PAX West because one of my panelists wanted to showcase Zarvat on our panel. Um, so I reached out to him because I was like, Hey, where, where's your booth? Like I'm, I've been looking for like your, your uh, studio name i can't find it in the listing or anything and then i remembered that he was on that nindy's direct and so i was like are you in the nintendo booth because if you're in the nintendo booth just let me know and i'll like direct people over there and then he was like quiet for like a couple days and then he pinged me back he's like yeah i'm in the nintendo booth i just need to check to make sure it was okay to tell you that before the show started but yeah i'll be in the nintendo booth i was like sweet and so uh that was That's really cool awesome. but yeah I think I think he said he's playing on being at Magfest as well. So if he's maybe we'll do one with you, him and uh and Jack. For sure. Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to pick his brain about what the process was like. For sure. Yeah, I think that'd be a good talk. Um, cool, Frank. Um, I we didn't mention it. I I I, I mentioned last episode that you and Jack would be on the show, but obviously Jack couldn't make it today. Um, but it was awesome having you on. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention before we start doing a wrap up? Um, if you have an iPhone, go check out the <laughs> game Where Shadows Slumber. If you have an Android phone, just search Where Shadows Slumber and um, the beta will come up or the demo. Just like grab one of those. You'll get a notification when the game comes out. Awesome. Where can people find you, Frank? The company is Game Revenant. As we said, Revenant, like that Leonardo DiCaprio movie where he fights a bear. Game like video game, Game Revenant. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. So search Game Revenant, we'll come up on those. You can also go to whereshadowslumber.com um, and that kind of redirects you back to everything. Awesome. And you can find me at Dylan Alvento if you want to see me shout at the Greater Richmond Transportation about how their bus missed me and other such things. Oh, that's uh, um it was all right. We have a pretty good bus system here. I was actually do you know um Anya over at Kickstarter? No. Uh, Anya Anya Combs. Um we were talking at Pax West cuz she hates the MTA and I was like I don't know what to tell you cuz my bus system's great cuz it's like every 15 minutes it's like clockwork. <laughs> so like no delays here. Really? Um yeah. Uh, we we just had like a massive transportation overhaul and we added like a uh a, a, a rapid transit bus to like one of our main streets. And that thing comes like every 10 minutes and like it has its own dedicated bus lane. They like redid the entire road for like, I want to say like five miles just to accommodate this dedicated bus lane wow. um, for both sides. So it's one lane each way. And then like they update all the routes. That's doing crazy. That. I've heard legends that there is a bus that comes to Hoboken, but I've never seen it with my own eyes. That's <laughs> <laughs> part NTA. That's part like the, the Oh, it's New I'm York just stuff. kidding. It's its own okay. thing. It's like the Port Authority. But I, you know. That thing is so regular. I, I hate trying to rely on it. I always see people waiting, waiting, waiting for the bus, waiting for their lives for the whole bus. It never comes. They're still there. <laughs> They're still waiting. They're still out there. They've been there for months. Um, but also, if you like this episode, you want to listen to any of our other episodes, you can find them at ward-games.com or you can find them on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere else you might listen to a podcast just like where shadows slumber we benefit greatly from reviews so if you like this episode or you like this podcast please give us a five-star review on itunes it helps us dearly uh frank thank you so much i enjoyed catching up with you yeah good talking to you thanks for having me on yeah man we'll catch up again at magfest sounds good
All right. See ya. See you.